That's a great song. It's an old song, and uh, it never loses its meaning, does it? Thank the Lord for that. I'm just so grateful. Thank you, ladies, for that and for blessing our heart. I want you to open your Bibles today to the Gospel of John, chapter number 12. John, chapter number 12 is uh, where we're going to be today and see what the Lord uh, would have for us in, in John and uh, chapter uh, number 12. And uh, again, I want to thank you for being with us on this very uh, first day and, and uh, grateful for uh, your presence with us, thankful for your faithfulness over this past year. And I want to thank you for your kindness to myself and the staff. Um, I, I, I want to just thank you for how you love us and how good you have been to us. And I just want to say again what an honor it is to serve here. It's the great, great joy of my life. And I know I speak for uh, the others, uh, the Adams and, and Nathan and Chris and their family, and uh, we're thankful for that. John chapter 12, I'm going to read just a couple of verses of Scripture, and then I'll catch you up with where we're at and and make some application here this morning that I I want to help sort of set the tone for the coming year as far as uh, as far as is what the Lord has laid on my heart so I want you to look with me in John chapter 12 we'll look in verse 20 and there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast and the same came therefore to Philip which is which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. And Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And so I, I want you to notice in particular, if I could, where in verse number twenty one the Greeks approach Philip, and they say to Philip simply this, Sir, we would see Jesus. Let's pray. Father, would you do today for us what only you can do? I thank you for the special. I'm grateful, Lord, for amazing grace. I'm thankful, Lord, that because of that we do love you. And if ever we loved you, we should love you now. I thank you for the joy of being here today. Thank you that Rick is with us and your guiding hand in his life. Thank you for having friends back with us, Lord. Uh, means so much to us. The Dretkas visiting with us. We're so grateful uh, for them. And, and Lord, just continue to help us to reach folks and love people the way you'd have us to do so. We're, we're thankful. Bless now in this service. Have your way and will in all that we say and do. In the name of Christ, I pray these things. Amen. I, I never feel the necessity to have a theme. I'm not necessarily a thematic preacher. I like preaching through series. I like to take Scripture and dissect it over a period of weeks, and I think that's beneficial to us as we spend some time observing uh, uh, sections of Scripture that God would have us build, and it gives us a little longer maybe than, than one snapshot on a Sunday to do that. But I, I don't feel like that every year we have to have a theme. Now, I've got friends that every single year of their church, they have a theme. 
and I'm grateful for that. I'd like to take a survey sometime and go back and ask, how many of you at the end of the year can honestly say that the year turned out the way that the theme did, and and did it impact the year? Sometimes, I mean, what was your theme for 2020? You know, I just feel like something good is about to happen. So I, I don't know. I, I think that sometimes themes don't always fit what perhaps is coming our way, and, and, and I'm not against things. I'm just being a little bit uh, humorous here. Uh, but but in, in reality, I don't feel like I always have to have a theme. But, but a, a while back, God began to impress this scripture upon my life. And I felt definitely like this is something that God would have us focus on for the year 2020. And so we're claiming as our theme for 2020 that statement that was made by these Greeks that came to find Jesus, sir, we would see Jesus. Our our theme is we would see Jesus. In the next few weeks, I want to make application of that and talk to you about how we go about that and about where we should go about that and how it will impact not just us, but people that we come in context, uh, contact with. Now, in our text, the city of Jerusalem uh, is teeming with people that are there for the Passover. That's the feast that, that they're dealing with. And the population at that time was about 30,000. We've talked about this in a Bible study uh, uh, a while back when, when we began to talk about the crucifixion and, and the things that took place there. But now... Because of the Passover, the city has swelled to 180,000 people. So when you take a city that has a capacity for 30,000 and it explodes to 180,000, you don't have room for everybody. So there's people sleeping out on the hillsides surrounding the city of Jerusalem. And as you would stand on perhaps the Mount of Olives and look out across the Kidron Valley at the city of Jerusalem, it would be like a tent city spread out before you because people would have tents spread out all over the, the uh, hillsides uh, because they were there for the purpose of, of the Passover. Word has spread that Jesus is coming to town. Now, it's like wildfire. It catches so quickly because it hasn't been long where just in the city of Bethany, up over the Mount of Olives, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. It's a phenomenal place to visit if you ever go to the Holy Land. And so Christ, Christ is, is, is coming to town, and here is a man that has raised a dead man. And that's, that's something, obviously, that is so incredible that that, that word of mouth spreads it everywhere. They're thinking that perhaps he is going to lead a revolution. Who else could do it but him? He's coming to town. He's resurrected the dead. If anybody can lead us from the shackles of Romanism and, and, and the, the weight of the empire that has taken from us the things that were ours, the Jews thought, this man can do it. And so from all over the area they've gathered, and now this, this significant, if I could say it this way, this sensational figure will come to town, and perhaps he's coming to town to rule and reign. And yet, as he approaches Jerusalem, 
he's not on the white steed of a conquering general. He, he rides a lowly donkey. He's on a colt. The people that surround him, they're not men gathered with glistening swords. That, that parade has already entered the other side of the city, on the western side. When Pontius Pilate and his men came to town, history tells us at exactly the same time Jesus entered from the east. Yet the people that come with Christ, they're not soldiers. They're, they're not military men. They're not men of war. They carry, they, carry no, they carry no swords. There's no glistening of armor. They're peasants. And so Pilate and those in charge there are not very fearful of this, this, this pageantry of, of, of the poor. It, it was just a pageantry of paupers that came, of peasantry that came with Christ. And, and so there are crowds there to see him. People that know very little about him, they've just heard the rumors. They've gathered there on the eastern side of the city, and they're waiting to catch a glimpse of him. Now among them was a group of Greeks who were in the city at that time, and they heard rumors and they heard the stories of Christ and the miracles that he had done and they wanted to meet him. Now the Bible does not specifically tell us whether it was out of great curiosity, whether they had a theological question to ask him. It doesn't tell us whether it was out of insincerity or out of true, <clears throat> a true desire to know who he was. And whence his power came. The Bible doesn't specify that. It just says, <clears throat> excuse me, that a group of Greeks approached Philip. And they said to Philip, we want to see Jesus. Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip then, in turn, goes to Andrew and says to Andrew, let's go to Jesus and tell Jesus people are looking for him. Now, to the great extent, that's where this story leaves off as far as our understanding of what happened to the Greek men that, went, that came to see. What is left us here to contemplate is the request of these men, we would see Jesus. And I, 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 think, that's, I think that's important for us, and I want us to claim that theme for this year. Now, listen to me carefully. It did not end. The search... The search was not about Philip. The quest to find was not satisfied in Andrew. Talking to Philip and talking to Andrew would do them no good at all unless Philip and Andrew somehow could get them to where they could see Jesus. And so I, I, I want to I suggest to you that that should be the driving force behind our journey into the unknown of 2021 this year. How do, how do we prepare for this year? I, I don't know. And, and I think quite honestly, 
I think quite honestly, if we're looking at preparing for specifics, if anything we learned in 2020, it's that you're not really sure. Listen, the verse of 2020 is this, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You don't have any idea what's next week or next month or next quarter, neither do I. And so if we're going to prepare ourselves for what's ahead, the only way to do that is by making sure that our trust and our faith and our obedience is in the Lord and to walk intimately with Him. And I, wanna, I want the driving force of our life this year in everything we say and in everything we do, both in our corporate lives and in our private lives, I want it to be uh, the theme that pushes us, we would see Jesus. I think that's important for us. Now, if I moved my family from Georgia, and I came all the way across this great land of ours and settled here in the Treasure Valley, just so that this valley could have the blessing of my presence, somebody got ripped off, don't you think? I mean, if, if I'm here for me, if, if I came so that I could impact this valley, if, if all I brought with me, if all I can show people is who Dean is and what Dean can do and what Dean knows, then, then I'm going to just be honest with you, I am a dismal disappointment. This whole venture is an utter failure. Because in and of myself, there dwelleth no good thing, as the Apostle Paul said, and I have to echo, and the reality of the matter is, I have nothing in me that's worthwhile to show anybody, to give anybody, that can be of a lasting, have a lasting impact on their life. Let's say, let's say that we gathered together, and, and we're here, uh, we're here to, to pool our resources. So here we are. What a great group of people. And this is a great group of people. But if we've come together to unite and pool our resources together and, and uh, we can just simply have another church, let's just have another church. Let's just do this. Let's just, let's just have another church in the valley. We might as well have started a bowling alley. Because I think we do need another bowling alley. The reality of the matter is that, that um, the world doesn't need us. I want you to listen to me carefully. And I want that to sink in to you and to me. The world doesn't need Dean. The world needs Christ. The world, the world doesn't in, even need us with all of our vision and heart and compassion and resources. In and of ourselves. those things carry no eternal value whatsoever. So in reality, I, I think it's a humbling thought, and yet I think it's a sobering thought, and yet I think it's a, it's a vital thought. This world, this valley, this place, this state, 
this time, this year, doesn't need us. What it needs is Jesus Christ. Now, there's a problem immediately that we're confronted with, and the problem is he's not here. Physically, now, you and I understand the omnipresence of of God. We know that he's everywhere. And so we know that wherever we are, the Lord is there with us. And we understand the presence of Christ in this. And we know, listen, he is Christ in us, the hope of glory. So we know that wherever we are, Christ is there. But, but, but understand that the world has no concept of that whatsoever. They think that's sort of spooky, heebie-jeebie type stuff. They don't grasp that. I remember years ago, I had an aunt that approached me, and she said, uh, so why did you decide to be a preacher? And I said, God called me. And her eyes got real big. She didn't understand the concept of God calling someone. I wasn't talking about that. I was talking about the call of God and the still small voice in my heart to where I knew exactly what God wanted me to do with my life and the direction that God wanted me to go with. So they don't understand the concept that, that Christ is with us and in us and through us and, 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 and never leaves us nor forsake us. But Jesus Christ physically uh, is not here. And so he, this is important. The one person that can truly change a life, no, no, that can change the world He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. He's not on earth any longer. He ascended from the Mount of Olives, promised to come back again. But for the time being, he's seated at the right hand of God. He's not walking our world. His his feet aren't on our streets. He He doesn't physically sit at our table like he did the table of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He doesn't visit our cemeteries like he did the one in in Bethany and raise Lazarus from the dead. He doesn't halt halt funeral processions and raise the dead. He doesn't visit hospitals and heal the sick, though we know he he does work and he does heal and, 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 and he does bless. But the world cannot see him. Physically amongst us. They can't touch him. They can't see him. And they don't hear him. So what does that do for us? It does this for us. It makes us realize that if the world would see Jesus, they're going to have to see him in you and me, because that's where he's at. He's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so the world has to see Jesus in Ernie. The world has to see Jesus in Scott, and in Ron, and in Mark, and in Rick. The world has to see Jesus in Sean. If the world's going to see Jesus, it's it's got to be in, in Betty and Linda. It's got to It's got to be in Mindy. It's got to be in Ella. It's got to be in Mary. It's it's, got to be in us. If the world 
would see Jesus, we can't say uh, he's, 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 uh, he's, he's about a block and a half away at so-and-so's house. Or he promised that he'd visit our church on Sunday morning, and so if you'll come to church on Sunday morning, he'll be on the front row. He's, he's got that seat reserved. We can't say that. So, in the hearts and minds of a lost and unregenerate world that desperately needs to come in contact with someone who is the life changer, how do they see the life changer? They must see him in you and I. Now, I want to say a couple of things to you. I want you to look in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. And the first thing I want to say to you today is simply this. We would see Jesus. If the world is going to see Jesus in you and I, this is point number one. This is the first thing I want you to to contemplate with me, and that is this. Now look at me. We We must realize that the only impact, our only impact, is through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me help you with this. Okay, let me take some, can I take some pressure off you? You can't help anybody that he can't help. Would you just let that settle for a little bit? It's something I need to let settle. Because the reality, sometimes as a pastor, I try to take things upon me, and I feel burdened about situations because I'm a fix-it guy, and, and if there's a problem, I don't want to sit around and talk about the problem all day long. I want to fix the problem. So show me a problem, and I'm going to try to get it done. I want, to, I want to come in and rescue. I want to come in and help. But the reality is this. This is very important. This will take the pressure off of you. You can't fix anything that he can't fix. So our only impact is through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, Acts chapter 4, we have these men, Peter, James, and John, standing before a council that that they're answering to. And, and it says, and when they, they is this hierarchy group of religious leaders, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned, what does that mean? That means they didn't have any formal education according to the religious institutes of the day. You didn't graduate from our college. You don't have any letters behind your name. You don't have a degree that we recognize. That's basically what's being said. They were, they were unlearned and ignorant men. They didn't reach the intellectual level that, that, that the council had, had met. They thought. They marveled. Why? Because they were bold and they were dropping answers left and right. And it says they took knowledge of them, watch this, that they had been with Jesus. What was it that impressed the council that the men stood up and said, Hitherfore, thitherfore, wherefore art thou therefore? No, it wasn't, it wasn't the power of their persuasion and their great oratorical skills, you know. You, you know one of the worst, and I won't go into all this story, but you know one of the worst experiences of my entire life was when I was young in the ministry and I served on staff unfortunately, with a man who was a Dale Carnegie instructor of how to win friends and influence enemies. 
It's the worst time of my life. I have never in my life served with a more carnal individual than he was. It was, it was horrible. It was, it was just absolutely horrible. I served a couple of weeks and then, and then just left. I thank God that he got me out of there. Wound up almost destroying a good church and it was a mess. You know why? Because he was running under the power of me. I can do it. I can get it done. I can smooth people. I can smile. I can, listen, I, I can work this thing. I can manipulate this thing. And he was in control. The Lord wasn't. I remember standing in India back in 96 or 97, so far out of my comfort zone, and quite honest with you, so far above my head, it was amazing. I was preaching with an interpreter. I'd never done that before. This business guy invited me to go over, and he financed the trip. And I'm standing preaching to people uh, in stadiums and places, just be so far over my head, it was unbelievable. I want to just tell you what my experience was. I've referred to this in the past, but I, I just... You know what I found out? I just found out that God can do things that you can't do. I remember preaching and just getting out the way. Just preach what God gave me. Get out of the way. Just don't get in God's way. Just get out of the way. And people would walk down an aisle and get saved. It's unbelievable. If there's ever been on a time in my life... When God taught me, it ain't you, boy, it's me. It was during those two weeks in India, 17 days of preaching the Word of God to, to people that, that I had never seen before, will probably never see again. But boy, did God do a work. You know, you know the reality of the matter is, God doesn't need us. God uses us, and we're honored to be used by Him. And I, I, remember, I remember on an off afternoon when there was nothing going on, and we were in between places and traveling, and, and, and I remember borrowing an old Honda 100 motorcycle and asking him, just give me a tank of gas, and I rode out to the nowhere in the middle of wherever I was, and I remember walking a dry creek bed and just weeping and crying and thanking God simply that God would use me. The way that he had. Can I tell you that God wants to use you? He wants to use me. He wants to use all of us. And yet apart from Christ, nothing eternal could ever be done in your life or my life. And the reality is not about how smart we are. It's not about how polished we are. It's not about our education or our eloquence. We've got to stop trying to be something. He's the something. He's the something. We've got to hook ourselves up in our walk with Him. It's not about our ability or our, or our persuasiveness. It's not about what we have to offer. It's what He has offered and will offer through us. 1 Corinthians, would you jump there to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, let me read some scripture for you that we ought to be reminded of. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Now it doesn't say not any. 
Okay? Does it? How many of you are with me today? Thank you. Thank you so much for coming in. Doesn't say not any noble, not any wise. So God does use wise men. He does use noble men. But he says not many. Can I tell you that I fall under that not many category? Okay? I've never had anybody look at me and say, my soul, what wisdom, what profundity. So, so here we are. This is us. Verse 27. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. If you say, well, preacher, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm really foolish and I'm weak. I mean, that's great. Thus far, your resume looks good to God. And the base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Would you just read that? Would you just look at that verse? Just, just look at that verse and read it. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Why? Because there's no flesh that has any right to glory in his presence. Verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God made, is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Folks, look at me. There is no room for egotism in the work of God. There's no big wigs, no little wigs. The only power that's available is the power of God to change lives. There's no position to exalt ourselves. And in fact, when we try to exalt ourselves, what does he do? He, he humbles us. Only when we humble ourselves does he exalt us. It, listen, there, there's, there's no room for egotism in the life of the believer. In fact, Jesus said in John 15, 5, hey, without me... You can do nothing. He summed it all up. He said this. Let me help you with this. Take me out. Let me get, look, I wasn't, math wasn't my best subject, okay? History was. I knew that math was important because how do you know who won the battle if you can't count the, the dead bodies? And so I realized that the significance of math was to be able to find out who won the historical battle. So that's, that's where I was at with math. But I, I, I do know this equation. This is the equation. Me minus Jesus equals nothing. Don't ever forget that. If you take him out of your life or whatever you're doing, you and me minus Jesus equals nothing. I can't accomplish anything worthwhile at all. In fact, I make a big mess of my life. Philippians 4.13, on the other hand, says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It's not, I can do all things, why? Because, buddy, I got it on, listen, I got it going. I can do all things through my knowledge, through my experience. You know how long I've been doing this? Well, my soul. People, I've been preaching since I was 17 years old. If I don't have a handle on this now, I'll never have a handle on this. And that's right, I ain't got a handle on it. If I come up here, if I come up here with what I can give you, you're going home empty-handed. 
Because I don't have anything to give you. I'm just like you. I have heartaches and heartbreaks. I shed tears. And sometimes I stare at a crossroads and just say, Lord, I don't know which way to go. Can you show me? But I can do all things. How? Through him. Who gives me the strength that I need to do that. So the first thing I've got to realize is that I have no impact apart from my relationship with Christ. The second thing is then, if, sir, we would see Jesus, and the only way they can see Jesus is through seeing him through me and you, then we've got to let God make us like Jesus. Because that's who they're looking for. They're looking for Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and we know that all things, we quote this verse a lot, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are the called according to his purpose. But the next verse says, for whom he did foreknow, and remember that the foreknowledge of God isn't causative, but he knows everything. Him that he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Well, what did he predestinate us to do? To go to heaven? No. He predestined us who were saved to be conformed to the image of his dear son. You want to talk predestination? All right, here it is. Here's predestination. God, God, when you're saved, the whole destiny that God wants for your life is for you to be like Jesus. Why? Because that's who the, the world needs to see. See, if they see Dean... They, they, they see somebody that lacks patience, okay? They see Dean, they see somebody that, 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 that can get rattled in a grocery store or a, or, or a, or a, a um, department store. They see Dean, they can see somebody with a bad attitude and a bad life and a bad testimony. But if I allow him, God, to make me like Christ, then what that does is that allows the world to seek Jesus in me, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so God wants to make us like Jesus. He wants us to be conformed to the image of of his son. Now, let me help you with this. I'm going to shock you, so get ready, all right? I hate, to, I hate to just deliberately shake people up, but let me just do that today. This is a shocking statement. If you're going to be like Jesus, you got to change, okay? You, you know how you came into this world as a sinner? You know what your struggle is in this world? It's, 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 it's sin. We're so prideful aren't we? Isn't that our problem? Yes, it is our problem. It's all of our problems. We're prideful people. It's part of our sin nature. So if God wants Dean to be like Jesus, you know what God has to do? Mm. We've got work to do. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. Somebody ought to write that down. It's a great song. But anyhow, how loving and patient he must be because he's, listen to me, he is still working on me. 
My dear friend Johnny Pope, I read an article that he wrote. One of the things Johnny said in the article is that he had learned to say, to not say, this is what I have learned, but to say rather, this is what I am learning. (laughs) You know why? Because we're always being taught. We're always deficient in our knowledge. And the lesson never ends. Listen to me. You'll never graduate from God's school of character and God's school of learning. We're students for the rest of our life. See, So he's got to change me. He's commanded me to be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But now he tells us here in in Romans chapter 8 that that he wants to conform me to the image of his son. And every time that, that hammering, every time something in my life is just nailing me, you know what Jesus, you know what God's doing? He's trying to say, Dean, I'm trying to make you like my son. But that hurts. That's painful. I don't like that. That's not a fun process. But Jesus is saying, I have to purge from you the old man, the old dean. You're not who the world needs. The world needs to see Jesus. So I've got to whittle away at you, and I've got to bend you, and I've got to break you, and I've got to transform you to be like Christ. You know what God wants to do with Rick Melfi's surgery? He wants to make Mick make Rick more like Jesus. He wants to do that with everything. He wants us to know more about him through our experiences. And he wants to use those experiences to mold us to be like his son, Jesus Christ. Are you letting God change you from the the inside out? You know, I, I... I mean, are you being conformed to his image or are you satisfied with who you are? I don't know how we could ever do that. How arrogant could we ever be to look at the man in the mirror and say, dude, you, you got it, boy. How, how could you ever look at yourself in the mirror without recognizing, realizing your faults and your fallacies and your sinfulness? How could you ever say, I'm enough? I've arrived. I pray we never get to the place in this church where we all look alike, dress alike, walk alike, talk alike. I pray, I pray that for the rest of, of, of our time till Jesus comes back, that there will always be people that are different and always be people that, that are somewhere at different places <coughs> along the line. Because when we all get just alike, it's the perfect climate for absolute Phariseeism. We get to a place <coughs> to where, where we're... We're, we're satisfied with who we are, and we pride ourselves in how hard the preaching is. Tell you one thing, you can't, you, can't, you can't build a church if you preach like my preacher preaches. That's the dumbest statement I've ever heard in my life. God can build a church anywhere God wants to build a church. We just got to be faithful. I don't want us to get into a, my four no more. Here we are. When Chip says, I want to get some of these young people out and bring them in and have them sit from the, you know, the tension centers on the front pew of our church. I'm going to tell you right now, 
I'm going to tell you right now with, with no hesitancy, if that makes you uncomfortable, you will not be uncomfortable in this church. You know, we're, we're, not, we're not running around looking for tithers to pull out of somebody else's church to bring to our church. We're trying to find people that would see Jesus from every, every aspect in, in, in every, every walk of life. What, what if I told you that, that in November in our, in our, in our teen trip, uh, when, our, when our young people went up to the um, uh, youth conference that, that a um, brother Chad in, 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 in Miss Georgia uh, caught one of our young ladies and she had a pack of cigarettes on her. How, 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 how would that make you feel about our youth group and how would that make you feel about the young lady that came? First of all, we didn't go on a youth group trip in November because of COVID. Second of all, that didn't happen. You know who the young girl was that had a pack of cigarettes on her youth trip? It's my wife. It's true. It's a true story. It's a true story. I've begged her to stop. No. Here's Susie Hillman. She's invited to go on a youth trip. She just brings her joints with her. Well, it wasn't a joint, was it? I'm sorry. She came to church. You think when you saw her as, as a teenager that she looked like a pastor's wife? No. She had a miniskirt on. When she walked in, people stared at her hemline and the way she was dressed. And, and not a lot of people had a lot to do with her, but one girl was friendly to her. And she came back to church because there was a teenage girl that reached out to her and treated her kind. You know what she needed? She needed space. She just needed somebody to give her some space and some love to change. Oh, dear God, help this church to be a place where people can come in and have room to change. They might not be dressed right. They might, we might, might look at them. They may, they may have rainbow hair. They may be dressed in a fashion that doesn't really fit. But all oh, that we would just love them and realize that Jesus will take them as they are, but he won't leave them there. He'll take them. I mean, here's a girl that rode a bus to church, and now she's your pastor's wife. Don't ever forget the fact that what we need is to see Jesus. Let me close by this, and that's simply we must let them see Jesus in us. That's so, so very, very important that we could see Jesus and that we would let people see Jesus in us.
I was young in the ministry, and my phone rang. The kid had taken his life. I'm going to be real honest with you. I, I, was, I was so lost on my ride to that house that day. I, I remember praying on the way over there. And I said, dear God, I don't even know what to say. I never faced this. I, I haven't been pastoring long. I don't know what to say to them. I pulled up, several cars in the driveway, and I walked in, supposing to be the spiritual leader that had answers, and I had none. And there she sat, the mother, broken-hearted, sobbing. I just went and sat down beside her, put my arms around her, and just prayed with her. You know, you know what I found out that day as I left? God spoke to me and said, son, they didn't need you there today. They needed me. And all she needed to see, see, see we, let, let me help you with this. Having been through some tragedies in my life, there's nothing you can say. There's not the statement. What is the statement? I want to make the statement. It's going to pull them through. You, you can't pull anybody through. We would see Jesus. We, we would just see Jesus. How, how, how can we make a difference? We, we would see Jesus. Now that's what I want to take with us today. The calm, now we're going to talk next week specifically. I want you to be here, but listen to me carefully. The calm, reassuring, oh my word, the pressure's off. The calm, reassuring that you're not what they need. We need Jesus, and they need Jesus, and so they've got to see Jesus in us. That makes a difference. Now, this week, this week, something's going to happen, okay? It, it may be in a grocery store. It may be in a line of traffic. It could be on the job. But this week, you've got a choice. Here's your choice. I'm going to show them me. You know who I, you know I have more trouble with than anybody besides my wife and her cigarettes? Do you, know, do you know who I have more trouble with than anybody? Dean. Spurgeon said, beware of no man more than yourself. We carry our worst enemies within us. So I got a choice. This week it's going to happen to me and to you. I can show somebody me, or I can show them Jesus. And they sure don't need to see me. Let's bow our heads, could we?
I don't know where you are today, and I don't know perhaps what you're going through, but I know that God wants others to see Jesus in, in you, and he wants to see Jesus in me. That's who the world needs to see. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, they can't see him in you because he's not there. It's only through our accepting Christ into our hearts as our Savior that he becomes Christ in us, the hope of glory. Do you have Jesus today? Does Christ live within your heart? If you, if you don't know him today as your Savior, would you please let us take a Bible before you leave this place and show you how you can come to know Christ? Oh, let us do that. Whatever your problems are, you say, Preacher, I'm going through a real hard time. Well, just, just let people see Christ in you. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It's not Dane's. It's not yours. Let's let, let's let them see Christ in us. Well, thank you for today for, for being here and so receptive. Don't forget our, our split sessions on Wednesday night. It'll be a great time for our ladies and our guys. And we'll talk a little bit about maybe some challenges as we move forward into this year. I'm excited about it. It seems like we just started last year, but now here we are at a brand new year. And it's great. We've got a brand new, fresh piece of world in front of us to make our mark for God. And I so want to let people see Christ in me. I hope that's your hope and your desire as well. And uh, we look forward to having a great week. And uh, we'll get back into this a little bit next Sunday. And, and I want to deal with some specific areas. And I want you to be here. I want you to be a part of that. And God would give us a great month of January. We certainly, we certainly look forward to that.